please turn with me this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy 18 and verse 9. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the, after the abominations of those nations. My friends, we're looking uh, this uh, morning at these uh, verses uh, from Deuteronomy 18. We're continuing uh, our study, if you're first time here or visiting again. Well, we're going through this uh, book of Deuteronomy, and they are really the addresses of Moses, uh, sermons of Moses uh, to that new generation of Israelites. There they are on the border of Canaan. They haven't entered in yet. They're on the border of Canaan, and Moses is giving them a lesson, many lessons we should say, but what God has done for them and how they should be, especially when they go up, go into Canaan. And especially again and again, I'm sure you've picked it up as we've had our readings and our studies. Again and again, the Lord has impressed upon, through Moses, is impressing upon the children of Israel that they are not to pick up the ways and habits and customs of those people into the land in which they are going. There were seven nations in Canaan, and they were not to pick up any of those idolatrous practices and abominations that are mentioned there. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. A message that has been repeated uh, throughout uh, this book. And it's an early lesson for us, isn't it? We have to be so careful as we walk with the Lord that we don't pick up anything uh, that, that is displeasing to the Lord. That we don't learn anything from the world around us and from the unbeliever that would lead us down the wrong path. Now, there are many things, of course. We learn secular things uh, from uh, those who are not believers. We're not saying everything you learn must be from a Christian. No, when you talk about maths or science or something like that, uh, uh, history, well, there are many good things that we can learn. But we're talking about things which are sinful. We're talking about things which are contradictory to the Word of God. And so we have to be careful that we don't pick up unbiblical things, unbiblical practices and habits and ways uh, that are so contrary to what the Lord is teaching. Oh, everybody is doing it. Everybody does this. Well, is that a reason that we should do it? Just because it's the popular thing to do? Everyone does, does that thing? No, of course not. We have to think, we have to examine ourselves, examine those things. Is it really what the Bible says we should do? Well, here, uh, the lesson that comes through really in these verses from verse 9 to the end of this chapter is that the people of God, the children of Israel, were to frame their lives according to the Word of God. That's how they were to frame their lives, according to all that God had said to them. Don't turn to the abominations of those nations. Those nations, they don't have God. Those other nations are just subject to their own ideas, their own opinions, their own thoughts. That's all that they, they can go by. 
They don't have divine revelation like you do, God is saying to them. They don't have a God who is speaking to them and showing them the way that they should go. They don't know the will of God for their lives. That's why they're turning to these other things. That's why they're turning to these abominations which are mentioned are following. I give, I've given you my law. I've given you the Ten Commandments. I've given you Moses who has been teaching you and speaking to you all up to this point. And I will give you prophets after him. I will give you whenever you need to know the will of God, the mind of God, all that you need to live. I will give you uh, prophets who will show you that way. A succession of prophets who will speak my words to you. Pay attention to them. Hearken to them. Listen to uh, those prophets. I won't leave you in the dark. I won't leave you to try and find your own way. I will direct you. I will give you light along the way. There is no need for you to turn to these alternate methods of finding the will of God. There will be no need for that. Hold yourselves to the Word. Hold yourselves to what I have revealed, to what I have said, and to what I will say. And in due time, I will send the prophet, the prophet of all prophets, the Lord Jesus Christ even. And when he comes, he will tell you all things. He will speak plainly. Well, we'll come to that in a moment. But first, let me go through these, some of these abominations that were done. And I don't really want to spend a lot of time with this, but just to mention it in passing, uh, there are nine different abominations here. Beginning at verse 10, There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. The people in Canaan, uh, this was... Uh, uh, an Ammonite kind of worship. They had a, a god called Molech, and uh, this was a, a statue, a fire god, they called him. And what they would do is they would cast alive their, their own children uh, uh, into the hands, the red hot arms of this statue as a way to try and appease their god or to, to win the favor or to, to prevent some impending disaster that they were afraid of. And, they would do this, this kind of thing, offering their own children. It, it could be they actually offered as a sacrifice, or at other times even, that they made them, uh, their children to pass through a fire. A fire was lit on either side, and they would walk through it as a kind of initiation into that kind of religion uh, of the worship of Molech. It was a terrible thing that they were doing, and uh, all to gain the favor of their God. And God says, you're not to do this kind of abominable, abominable act. The next three terms uh, are, are all to do with foretelling the future. Uh, divination uh, is the first one uh, that is uh, mentioned there, that, that useth divination. That was the reading uh, in the cup. In the, they were, the person would pretend, really, uh, to read the water that, that is left over, that's swirling over at the base of a cup or the dregs of a cup. You remember in, in Genesis, we read about uh, Joseph, and uh, he had his diviner's cup. And uh, he never really divined, but he pretended to divine. But uh, this, this, is, this is what's, the, what's in, in mind here. The, the telling, foretelling of the future by reading the dregs that are left over in a cup, or by a person reading somebody else's palm. 
He says, we still have that today, isn't it? Palm reading uh, is, is common. People today talk about reading tea leaves in a cup. I haven't heard that too often, but it still happens. Gazing into a crystal ball or tarot card reading. This all comes under the same kind of idea of divination. Then we have the, another term, observer of times. That was somebody who would declare this particular day is a good day, that day is a bad day. This particular day is a lucky day, that day is an unlucky day. And people would go to these people to find out which is the, the good days and the bad days. Still happens even today, especially in the Far East. Couple want to get married, well, they will decide, they will go to someone and ask them, which way, which day should I get married on? Which is the auspicious day that I should plan to have my wedding on? And they will deliberately avoid those uh, bad days that are specified to them. It's, uh, it's superstition. It's, it's, uh, it's based on like luck, isn't it? But uh, also this observer of times could be uh, somebody who divines by the movement of the clouds or the stars, he, he looks around and uh, he makes judgments and predictions based upon that. And again, something we have today, the horoscopes that people have going by the stars. Enchanter was somebody uh, who uh, used magic formulas and as he was using those formulas, he would mutter certain incantations or, and whisper things and, and peep over those particular formulas until he came up with an interpretation. But then the next, two, uh, uh, the next two terms have to do with influencing the future. The first three were to do with foreseeing, predicting the future. The next two are to do with somebody who is, uh, claims to have the power to influence the future and to change future events. A witch was one who pretended to be, bring about favorable circumstances by charms and by portions. Well, perhaps we could think of the African witch doctor here uh, who, who comes up with such things uh, to, to affect people. Or the charmer in the, next, in the next term was somebody who put spells on other people. He feigned to have power over others and claimed to be able to, to hinder what others were able to do. To tie them up in knots is the literal uh, meaning here. And that he, as if he can affect and uh, hurt and harm another person by what he says or by some sort of spell that he puts on people or change the circumstances uh, in the future. Well, the final three terms here are to do uh, with consulting the dead and consulting the spirits. Uh, look at that, this first one uh, here, for all that do these things, are in a bump, sorry, I beg your pardon. Verse 11, a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits. Now these were people who claimed to be in contact with a spirit, either within them or outside them. And they claimed that this spirit gave them special knowledge, special uh, insights into what uh, other people were thinking and doing. They, you remember in Acts 16 and verse 16, of that uh, damsel that Paul and Silas and Luke uh, came across, a damsel possessed with a spirit of divination, uh, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Well, this is the same idea here. 
that a, a person who is in contact with a spirit and uh, who has the, the ability to predict uh, the future or, to, uh, or is given insight into special knowledge. I remember when I was in a charismatic church and uh, that they had a visiting preacher at the time and that person and his wife were actually given the whole preaching time. And uh, th what they did during that time was something very, very unusual. They would wait and they would claim to receive uh, words of knowledge. They would claim to receive a word about different people in the congregation. And the uncanny thing about it was what they said about those people was right. It seemed to be perfectly Right, they do it. They would have. They said such things about them that made you think only that individual knows about that person and those things. And yet it was revealed to them. Well, they said it was God. They said it was the Holy Spirit who did that. Well, I have my doubts now. I have my doubts because when you read such a thing like this, and you know how the Holy Spirit works, he doesn't usually work in that way to reveal personal things about people in a public way like that, just from a word of knowledge, oh, then you may think, perhaps, was that person in contact with a familiar spirit that was passing on that information uh, to them? Well, then we have these other two terms, a wizard and a necromancer, those who uh, contact the dead. Again, we're reminded in the Old Testament of uh, Saul, and he went to that witch at Endor. And you remember how uh, he said to the witch at Endor, uh, call me up Samuel, the prophet Samuel. Samuel had already died. Bring me up Samuel. And the witch at Endor pretended that she was going to bring up, and she was surprised when he actually came up. Because she was not used to it. She was, it was all a, a game to her. She was probably a ventriloquist or had some other magic art by which she did those things. And so she was greatly surprised because Samuel really did come up. And that... Uh, took her by surprise. But uh, these kinds of things, again, friends, are so uh, common, isn't it, amongst the seances, mediums, those kinds of things. So you can see from this list of things how superstitious the people in Canaan were. And the children of Israel are bidden and told, don't be like that. You have divine revelation. You don't need to resort to these things. Well, believers, we need to be aware really, even of these kind of things, isn't it? Even we need to be aware that we don't dabble in any, any of them. Or you may say, well, it's not an issue today. We're, we're in the 21st century. We don't have things like this going on. We're scientific. We don't think like that. We're not superstitious, are we? Aren't we? What happened last Tuesday? Last Tuesday, Halloween. Halloween or so. And the children dress up and trick or treat. It seems like uh, just a game. But it's more than that, if you know the history uh, behind it. Oh, horoscopes are still being read. Some people live their lives by reading their horoscope daily. Mediums, the police resort uh, to psychics often to try and find out information about criminals, seances, people want to contact their dead relatives and so on. That still happens and still things uh, we should avoid. Now something else that happened last Tuesday, something much more positive, which I'm sure you remember, it was, uh, it was Reformation Day, October 31st, was the day when we remember 
uh, Martin Luther and that great reformation of the 16th century. God raised up that monk and uh, he raised him up in order to bring the people back to God, back to the Word of God. If you lived at that time, superstition abounded. Religious superstition abounded in that time. And uh, uh, people were, were told all sorts of things. The height of it was the sale of indulgences. And people were told, if you buy these indulgences, like holy water or uh, a piece of the cross, the real cross of Christ, if you buy this, uh, these indulgences, you can save your relatives, you can deliver your relatives out of hell, out of or rather purgatory, and they'll go straight to heaven just by making a payment today. That's what they told them. And you know what? The people believed them. But it was one big scam. It was a scam of the century, you could say, because it was all originated from Rome and from the Pope of Rome. The Pope of Rome was collecting money to build his Basilica of St. Peter's. That's what it was all for. He needed the money, and that's what he, uh, he brought in. Uh, somebody came up with this bright idea of selling, selling indulgences. And the poor people who didn't know any better at the time, didn't know have the word, they believed everything the priests taught them. Till Martin Luther came and said, this is not what the word of God says. And he nailed his 95 theses uh, to that wall uh, uh, in, uh, in Germany. This ended the change that many were delivered out of superstitions, returning back uh, to the Word of God. But let's come uh, to verse uh, 15. Here, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, him unto him ye shall hearken. Now, this is, a, of course, I'm sure we know a direct reference to, to Christ coming. And he will come as in the offices of a prophet, priest, and king. But it also includes uh, a promise that prophets, in the, of prophets in the interim uh, period. Uh, we know this, we can be sure of this, because towards the end of the chapter, we are told about other prophets who will arise and how you can tell who is a true prophet and who is a false prophet. So there were uh, true prophets who were definitely going to rise up. Verse 21, if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. So there would be a succession of prophets following on from Moses right until the coming of Christ the troop, the, the, the long-awaited prophet. Otherwise, it would have been a great thing to expect the children of Israel to wait until Christ's coming. Now, God could have done that. God could have said to them, well, you have my law, and you have what I've revealed already. That is sufficient. That is enough. But it would have been a long time uh, for them to wait uh, until the coming of Christ. So God, in his great kindness, sends to them prophet after prophet after prophet. He speaks to them, communicates his word to them so that they can communicate that word. They can have a word from God. They can have a word from heaven. Oh, friends, do you know what was one of the greatest judgments that ever fell upon Israel? 
One of the greatest judgments, which we hope will never fall upon our nation, was that the word of God was rare. The word of God was rare in the times of Eli, before Samuel came up. And that means that the Lord, word of the Lord was scarce. It was hardly heard. There was no, very few people who were holding on to and preaching the word of God. Oh, we don't want a situation like that. Pray, friends. Pray that it never happens in this country, that the word of God becomes rare, that it's difficult. Where shall I go to hear the word of God? Where shall I go to hear the truth? Where can I understand? Where can I go to have it preached to me? We need uh, churches in abundance, not in a few. But we see from these verses that a prophet was one who was raised up from God. I will raise them up, a prophet from among their brethren. Prophet was one who was called of God. He didn't choose his vocation. He didn't select to be a prophet. He didn't go into it of his own accord, as it were. He was called of God. Think of Moses and his calling. Think of Jeremiah and his calling. Think of Isaiah. They were God took the initiative uh, with them. God called them to the ministry. God chose them to be his mouthpiece. Through these human instruments, God would speak. God would reveal his word and his will, just like he is doing with Moses. So also he would do with every prophet that he sends. Moses takes them back uh, in verse 19 uh, to Horeb and uh, to Mount Sinai. And you can read this in Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, where they, they, they heard the voice of God audibly. 38 years ago, their fathers and uh, maybe some of them here were gathered at that mount. And God spoke to them with an audible voice. They heard the Ten Commandments uttered from God directly. And they saw the fire on the mountain. And they, they trembled and they were afraid. Look at, look at what he says uh, here. And it, uh, uh, sorry. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my word. Oh, I beg your pardon, I've got the wrong verse. Uh, verse 16. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. That they were afraid to hear. And so God condescends and said, Okay, that's a good thing you have said. I will speak to you through Moses. I will speak to you through human instrumentality and uh, with a human uh, voice. But they were, these prophets were invested with divine authority. Thus saith the Lord, is what they said. They were not, they were, the people were to take the word as from God uh, himself. Verse 19, it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Now friends, the prophet you have to say, not only foretold events to come, what would happen in the future, not only was he predicting the future, but he was also foretelling, or telling forth the words of God. He not only said what's going to happen in the future, he also had, God gave him a message for today. 
God gave him a message for the people to whom he was sent. A moral message, a call to repentance, a call to return to the Lord, a call to quit idolatry. Again and again, these messages are repeated. You remember Joel, where the, the, the Lord says through Joel, rend your hearts and not your garments. It's, uh, he's preaching to the people. And Hosea, the word of the Lord came to him and said, Is it time for you to dwell in sealed houses and my house lie waste? Waste, consider your ways. It was a message for those people at that time. Don't just look at your own houses and build up and decorate your houses and neglect the house of God. Consider your ways. And this aspect often came through in, in the prophecies in the Old Testament. There's this dual side uh, uh, to prophecy. On the one hand, the prophet is speaking to the, the local community and the people to whom he has been sent, and yet that message transcends in another way to a future. It has this dual meaning behind it. And often we see that uh, in the Scriptures. So the prophets were those who were sent uh, by uh, the Lord. In the New Testament, we read there were also prophets, uh, but the office was phased out once the, we, the New Testament was uh, completed. Well, friends, today, we don't need anyone to stand up and tell us, thus saith the Lord. We have the Scriptures. That's all that we need. Thus says the Lord from the Scripture. If they don't speak according to the law and the testimony, it is because there is no light in them. Everything measured by the Scriptures. We've said this recently, but we need to say it again. The modern-day equivalent, we could say, of a, of a prophet is the pastor-teacher, the one who has uh, been sent by God, called of God uh, to the work. He doesn't receive messages directly from the Lord like the old-time prophets, but he studies the Scriptures, and God gives light and God gives understanding, and then he's to convey what he has learned uh, to the congregation. But he's got to be very careful that he's not bringing in his own ideas and his own thoughts into uh, his uh, explanations and into his applications. He's got to think things through to make sure that it corresponds with what God has said. So the role of a, a pastor, teacher, it's a very responsible one, and, but it's uh, something that a person is personally called to by God. It's uh, the gift. We read about these gifts in Ephesians 4 and verse 11. These, the offices is what we have in mind rather than the people. Uh, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what we need, friends, teaching. That's what believers need, teaching and instruction in the Word of God. We don't need all the razzmatazz. Jumping up and down doesn't help us to progress in holiness. You know, what we need, friends, is not emotional highs. We need just plain, pure, honest, yes, interesting teaching. We need that. Uh, that's what the, the church needs. The church cannot stand without teaching. If a church is not taught according to the Word of God, it's bound to go astray. It's bound to go down a different path. The teaching of the Word of God is central, it's vital, it's pivotal. Just as it was in the Old Testament, 
The teaching was central through the prophets. The word of God came. And then in the New Testament church, what was central? The teaching, the instruction, the doctrine of the apostles. Daily they were, they were preaching God's word. And it's, that's the way it's to be until the return of Christ. Teaching the people, learning from the Lord. A number of churches sadly have forgotten this. And so much time sometimes is given to singing. Sometimes uh, half the service is given over to singing. And just 15, 20 minutes to the teaching of God's word. How can that help uh, believers? A brother was telling me recently, he was, uh, he was looking, when he was looking for a church to go to, and uh, he attended one particular church, and he said, after the sermon, he still felt hungry, spiritually hungry. He felt he didn't gain anything from what he'd, he'd learned, uh, from what he'd heard. But after the sermon, after the service, there was a, there was a lot of food prepared for everyone, a huge amount of uh, physical food to enjoy. Well, that's nice. <laughs> that's nice, but he was physically fed, but spiritually he left that church a hungry person. Well, friends, it should be... Uh, should be uh, the other way around in a sense, isn't it? I mean, we're happy to feed your bodies today. We have our fellowship meal. But uh, spiritually, people want to come. They want to be fed. They want to receive something that's going to help them in their Christian lives and that's going to satisfy their spiritual appetite uh, for the coming week. Well, let, let me very quickly uh, move on as I uh, come to a close. In verse uh, 18, we see this again repeated. I will... I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. A prophecy preeminently about the Lord Jesus Christ. No, say the Muslims. This is not about Christ. This is about Muhammad. It's not about Muhammad. This is about Jesus Christ. You can see from the context, I will raise the upper prophet from among their brethren. This prophet was going to come from the Jewish people. He was going to be one who would come from among them, just as Christ did. But in another sense, we could also say from the midst of thee, that this prophet who was to come was to be somebody so very much like ourselves, one of us, a human and in many, the one who would know humanity, who would feel humanity in his, in his own being, a fellow human being, one who went through all the stages of life. He went from infancy to childhood to teenagers and into young adulthood and into adulthood. Such was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was, a, he was one of us, just a common person, Nothing special in one sense outwardly looking at him. He was born in a poor family. He, he, he was born to a, carpenter, uh, a carpenter's home from a very ordinary family. In a very ordinary village uh, he came. But this was Christ. In one sense, yes, he is the God, but he's also the God-man. And he is not uh, ashamed uh, to call us Brethren, he's a brethren, but like unto thee, oh friends, uh, this prophet is going to be like unto Moses. He's going to be a type of Jesus Christ. 
And there's so much you could say here. You can do your own study and you can trace in what way the Lord Jesus uh, is like Moses. Right from the very birth uh, to the end, you could uh, have, uh, uh, you could do that uh, comparisons. Think about how Moses began his life under threat. As a baby, uh, he, he was, uh, his life was in great danger, and yet God uh, delivered him. So also Christ, when he was born, his life was in great danger. Herod sought to kill him and to get rid of him, the newborn king. But God uh, saved and miraculously preserved both Moses and Christ. Moses led the people out of Egypt. He was, in a sense, their great redeemer. God used him to deliver them out of bondage and slavery. Christ is our deliverer. Christ saves us, delivers us from bondage to Satan and to sin. Moses held face to face communion with God. God spoke to that prophet as he spoke to no other prophet. He was so close to God, face to face contact. Christ had the most intimate contact with uh, his father. Such intimate, close communion. Oh, don't you wish? Sometimes we had more than John 17. Don't you wish sometimes you could enter in and to hear what the Lord Jesus was saying to his father in that, in, in that communion that we had? God spoke to him as he spoke uh, to no man. Moses was a mediator uh, representing God to man and man to God. So too was Christ, our great mediator. And then above all, perhaps what is most in mind here is that Moses was God's spokesman and God communicated his mind and will through him. So also through the Lord Jesus Christ, God communicates his word and his will to us. His final word comes through him. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us God who had sundry times and in diverse manners spoke unto us by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us. By who? By his son. By his son. Oh, friends, uh, when Christ came, the word was made uh, flesh. And we see in all, uh, we see in his teaching, as we look through the Gospels, the bulk of his time and his ministry is spent in teaching the people, sitting down and uh, on those uh, mountaintops and in, in homes and houses. He would, he would go from one place to another and he packed in one uh, teaching message after another for people to hear. And the people, they loved to hear him teach. They loved to see his miracles, but even more, I'm sure, they loved to hear him teach them. They never heard anything like it. The common people heard him gladly. They could go day after day, and they did. Some of them went three days without food just because they were so enraptured by everything he was saying, everything they was doing. They never heard anyone like him before. They never heard any teacher like him. No rabbi spoke like this man spoke. This man has the words of life. This man tells us how to get to God. This man tells us, knows something we can see in his life. He knows the truth. He speaks the truth. It's evident. It's plain. It's powerful. And they were gripped uh, by uh, his uh, words. All the Father's will was revealed uh, through him. Uh, he says in, in one place, he said to his disciples, I have many things to say to you, 
but you cannot bear them now. Many things he had in his heart. Oh, how much did Christ have in his heart to share, to tell, to teach? You know, I was reading a Spurgeon, one of Spurgeon's sermons, C.H. Spurgeon, one of his end-of-the-year sermons, and uh, he said, I was quite amazed, he said, I preached 400 times this year. That's uh, more than one a day. I don't know how he managed it. I don't know how he did it. 400 sermons. But you know, sir, if you know anything of Spurgeon, and you read his biography, you know he was full of the Word of God. And he was full. He had so much to give, so much to say, so much to write, so much to pass on, so much God gave him, and he just passed, kept passing it on and on. And as he passed on, God kept giving him more and more, and he kept passing on and on, and so it went on. And he was uh, full. He, you'd say he was bubbling over with the Word of God. How much more Christ? How much more Christ? I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Oh, friends, Christ is that great prophet, and he has words and, uh, to teach us. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Hear him. That's what Moses, remember Moses and Elijah up there with Christ on the mount. Oh, hear him. Hear him. Listen uh, to him. That's what we need. Uh, to do, friends, to listen. Do we listen? Are we good listeners? Look at verse uh, here. It tells us we should hearken. Verse 19, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Now, teachers, of course, we have a responsibility uh, for uh, teaching to make sure uh, we teach the word of God. But it's also comes a responsibility in listening. I cannot say I, I can take it or leave it. You can't. It's a responsibility. How are we listening? How many sermons have we heard? What have we done with those sermons? Are we letting the Word of God affect us? Are we receiving it as the words of God? Are we going beyond the preacher to receive it as from the Lord? That's so important, friends. We cannot be passive hearers of the Word of God. We cannot just, we need to be receptive, to rejoice in what we hear, yes, and to allow it to change us. That's uh, to feel that we are accountable for everything. If we do nothing with what we hear from the Lord, if we fail to take it seriously, well, verse 19 tells us it will be required of us. But friends, I conclude, what a privileged people we are. We have God's Word. The unbeliever has his notions. The unbeliever has the ideas of man. The unbeliever is uh, taken up, oh, evolution. We have the Word of God tells us God created us. God made us for Himself. God made us for His glory. We had to come to Him. The Word of God tells us that Christ came from heaven to save sinners. If we trust in Him, He will forgive us. He will pardon us. He will change us. He will take us to heaven. The God who cannot lie tells us the truth. And we have his word in our hands to read and to follow. A revelation. Things you cannot discover in any other book. You find it here in God's book. Oh, friends, let it be the book that you treasure above everyone. And frame your life according to the word. Let's close by singing our... Final hymn, number 190, version 2. Join all 
the glorious names, 190 version 2.